You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. Welcome to 602 Club, TFM's local watering hole, and I am just one of your hosts here, Matthew Rushing, and with me, as she is, pretty much every single week is the one and the only Christy Morris. Christy, how are you doing this week? How was your Thanksgiving? Oh, it was fantastic, actually. Thank you. I, I got to see my niece and nephew after a long absence, so that was really nice. How about you? Uh, it was good. Uh, I also saw, well, there were only nieces there because my uh, brother-in-law and sister-in-law only have girls, uh, five of them to be exact. Oh, that's so, um, that. But it was fun. We had a great time. Uh, the Cowboys lost. It was great. Uh, <laughs> so it just just always phenomenal. Uh, and the food was fantastic. So, um, And I've had more dessert in like the last week uh, than I've had all year. Uh, and the scale shows it. So uh, let's get on to something else. Uh, This week we're going to be covering something really exciting. And back for the first time, and I think maybe a couple of years on the the TFM network, is the illustrious, nay, the wonderful Tristan Riddell. Tristan, it is so good to have you back. It's like coming home and, you know, but you felt like everything was a lot bigger in your in your memory. That's true. It's gotten a lot smaller here in the 602 Club, but that could be how much you've had to drink tonight. So, you know. <laughs> no, it's 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 fantastic to come back. And uh, you and I have, of course, continued to be in contact and uh, we're on a separate network together. But uh, yeah, it's been it's been a while since I have been on 602 and been on uh truck fm and uh yeah it's uh it's good to be back and thank you for inviting me back and where our schedules have actually lined up i know i know and i knew just the poison to lure you back <laughs> with uh because we've talked about this behind the scenes together you know as we text and whatnot um we we've talked about the mask of zorro uh and and how much um, that we like this movie. And so I knew that when um, it came out on 4K and I got it, I was like, I know there's only one person who needs to be on this episode, and it's Tristan. Um, so I'm really excited that we're going to dive into this one together. Uh, before we get to uh, talking about the movie, just want to thank you, everybody, for listening. Of course, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Got you know Apple Podcasts. Give us a star rating review. Definitely helps the show grow. But honestly, we're all over the place with like Spotify and Amazon Music, and I mean anywhere you get your podcasts, you can find the Six Hundred Two Club. And we continue to grow by leaps and bounds this year. So thank you so much to everybody for checking us out. Uh, Of course, we're on Twitter now at the Six Hundred Two Club, and you can find us on Instagram, or you can follow us there as well at the 602 club tfm uh, of course uh got track fm uh, the website and then we've got the listeners only discussion group the babel conference you can find on facebook we are on facebook at facebook.com slash trek fm 
So pretty much anywhere you want to go, we are there. And of course, you can always send us an email too over at trek.fm slash contact. Christy and I enjoy getting emails and, you know, maybe you have some ideas for things you'd like to hear us talk about coming up next year. Who knows if movie theaters will ever be open again. Uh, so, you know, we're, uh, we're just rolling with the punches and, um, get an opportunity to talk about cool things like this. want to say a quick thank you to our associate producers, Ken Tripp, Davis Grayson, Ryan Millett, and Daniel Noah for supporting us through Patreon. We really appreciate all of the support we get through Patreon. It it means that we bring all the podcasts that we do here on the network to you ad-free. Uh, so if you appreciate what we do, uh, and we could always use your help, we can definitely use your help. So go to patreon.com slash trekfm and see how you can be part of the team some great contribution levels, but honestly, in the end, every little bit makes a difference. So go to patreon.com slash trekfm. So guys, this was something that was really interesting to me because I feel like for all of my life, I've, I've known who Zorro is. Um, but I did not realize that Zorro's kind of like, in many ways, the original like, you know, before Superman, um, before any of the comic book heroes hit the stage, like, Zorro is one of those first big pulpy things to just really hit. Uh, and, I mean, it's it's all the way back in 1919. So I honestly just could not believe that this character has endured that long to the point that, you know, it's it's been in uh, over 40 films and 10 TV series and... I was just astounded by the staying power of a character like this. Yeah, I think actually it's really cool to then see where things like Batman possibly came from or um, then even it he especially makes me think of the Dread Pirate Roberts and Princess Bride. You know, it's almost the exact yeah. <laughs> same outfit. But yeah, it it's something that's sort of always been around that I think maybe people forgot about because for a long time there was this absence of him in like popular culture. But, you know, yeah, it goes all the way back to the early 1900s for Zorro. I remember seeing clips of the show from the 50s uh, and hearing that music in my head again. But it it's really cool to see that it lasted that long sort of like we felt about things like Bond here, you know, um, and then gotten this revival that feels like is really paying tribute to the original. This was something that I, um, I, I grew, I grew up with, with Zorro. I, I, the, there was a, there was a TV show on the family channel in the nineties that I absolutely loved. It was super cheesy. It was super weird and i i just <laughs> you're really I remember, selling it tristan <laughs> no no it's I, I i am i'm describing it perfectly because it is it is worth your time i think that like adam west was a guest star at one time like it it just it it is it, it keeps that pulpy atmosphere like it's it's <laughs> the lead is not antonio banderas and it is uh it, it's one of those things where you just it just feels like a warm blanket sometimes and like i had such fond memories like going over to my grandparents house and watching it with them together and so i i was always kind of around it and uh and then when i went to film school we we analyzed the the douglas fairbanks version and um and then you know like the uh, of course that was well after the antonio banderas one came out but this movie specifically um was the the Antonio Banderas version 
we, my family was obsessed with it. Like we absolutely loved it. Like we, we had the VHS, we got the super bit DVD and it was, it was practically just in the VCR all the time. Like there was no reason to take it out. Cause like that, that's how much we watched it. And wow. Uh, I still, when I, I hadn't watched it for years. And then when I got the, the 4k version, um, I got to the credits and I was like, Oh, right. The credit song. And I remembered every single lyric <laughs> to the end credit song of the movie. <laughs> and, yeah. So this is, That's and awesome. also like, and, and, uh, Christy, you were talking about dread pirates, Roberts. Um, you know, growing up, my favorite superheroes were my, it were Zorro and then, uh, Batman. And I was obsessed with dread pirates roberts so i definitely have a type of for my for my heroes oh yeah <laughs> growing up he likes them dark and wearing black with a mask it's, it's <laughs> like in uh what was it lego batman where he's like there's only one color it's black and maybe dark gray <laughs> <laughs> uh well and it's funny because you know i was just thinking about you know you're talking about all of these characters to which zorro has really kind of helped I think create or be an influence on and and in this movie specifically, but you know, even in the past, you know, his use of a bullwhip, you know, that's where we got um, Indiana Jones bullwhip from. It has to be. And maybe Catwoman too. Because they even use it in very similar ways uh, Mm -hmm. to escape things and and that kind of stuff or, or to fight off, you know, villains. And um, so, uh, you know, I think it's really fascinating to see that, you know, this is a character who who lives in the mindset of so many people that we loved that created things that we loved, and it helped influence. And it, I think you're absolutely right, Christy. It had to have helped influence, you know, Batman and you know Indiana Jones and all of these type of things. And and I think, you know, it, it is fascinating to me that not only was this a you know popular pulp character in in magazines and then later in little novellas, but you know, it is the thing that I think jumps off the silent screen and becomes one of the biggest stars of the silent screen because of Douglas Fairbanks. And and so, you know, like Tristan, you talk about analyzing that in film school, you know, it's still something that people look back at because it was such a phenomenon. Um, and a- again, it's funny because I'm I'm sure when you think about the pulp serials that somebody like a Spielberg grew up with or a Lucas grew up with or those type of people, like these are the, the, the films that they're growing up with, you know, and um, that are a part of their cultural zeitgeist to help them create things. So to me, it's, it's just fascinating because I, you know, I'll have to say rewatching this movie, it's like Zorro is a character to which allows you to tell some still really relevant tales and, I'll be honest, I'm kind of disappointed that there's there were only two movies in this series because I I feel like you could have had, you know, it, at least a good trilogy out of it. Um, and I haven't seen the second one since it came out. So, you know, maybe we'll have to talk about that one uh, <laughs> at a rough, later time. Man. <laughs> Do what did you say, Tristan? It's rough, man. The sequel. Oh, really? Oh, man, that's so uh, sad. I didn't remember in- it being bad. So it's so it it's not even in the same league it like we're talking about like new york yankees versus t-ball in comparison it's it's so bad man so maybe we shouldn't well (laughs) i guess we'll let it go then um but so yeah i just to me that was as i was kind of just reading and back and i was even watching the extras that 
that came and it was an old extra that was probably on the original DVD, Tristan, <laughs> that I was watching that you've probably seen a hundred times. But like, you know, that this movie com- stems out of uh, the the um, the the people who hold Zorro's uh, um, trademark of wanting to create a new Zorro film. Um, and I think it's really interesting because unlike many movies, uh, this movie could have been very different. Um, and so I wanted to ask you guys about this, you know, uh, a couple of big differences. One would have been the director. They wanted Robert Rodriguez and he was going to direct this film. Uh, and so I'm really interested to hear how you feel like that might've gone, especially since many of his films, especially at that time had been known for being kind of like much more violent than, what we <laughs> what we get you know uh here in this movie which is very much i would say a cartoon style violence well if i remember correctly i think that was the reason why uh robert rodriguez didn't stay on the film because uh, the studio didn't agree with his take on it because he wanted to do an r-rated zorro he wanted a violent bloody zorro tale which i think could have been done do i think and I, I think, and I think Robert Rodriguez would have done it well. I mean, when you look at his filmography, he very much uh, can tell the Mexican tale, and and um, I, I think it, it would have been really cool and 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 pretty great to see. But would it have been appropriate for the source material? Eh, I don't know. I you know I don't know because like when I think Zorro, I think Kitty. I think. Uh, you know, like I think fun action and something that the family can watch together. And uh, Rodriguez is not always that. Sometimes he can do that, like when we see with Spy Kids and stuff like that. Uh, but what he wanted to do was a little over the top of what the studio was comfortable with. And I think they ultimately made the right decision personally because uh, I, I really like Campbell's work, or, uh, some of Campbell's work, and uh, I think he knocked you don't it out like of the this one. Come on, <laughs> oh, man. poor. Poor Green Lantern. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was... Um, this one, I think, struck the perfect tone. And this was one of those things where, like, when I when I, when I I watched it in preparation for this podcast, and then the silhouette of, of Zorro comes on and does the, the swipe of the Z, and then <laughs> we go into the movie, I'm like, damn it, I missed the 90s. Man, this... <laughs> it, like, you just don't get these kind of family action films anymore. They just don't make them like this anymore. And I know that I'm being nostalgic because I, I grew up in the 90s and I was born in the 80s. But it just, uh, if we gotten, I really like Rodriguez's work, but it, we wouldn't have gotten this if Rodriguez made the film. Yeah, I'm 100% with you. Also grew up in the 90s, so there's that. But yeah, I, I will agree and say I think that it's definitely a much different movie in a good way because of who we get. And I think that it needed to, because of the the hero that Zorro is before we get this movie, that it, it does need to have that element that's a little bit more family friendly. I think that if you had gone too far into violent, I think it's got enough violence for me showing the Murrieta brothers head in a jar. <laughs> right, yeah. Which actually happened. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a true story. Oh, the fact that people did that, <laughs> disturbing. But I think that it still got just enough aside from that that makes it 
more capable of being that classic hero, that swashbuckler that people really love and identify with and romanticize in stories. So I think it needed to lean that way. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because the the thought process of like, you know, do, do you basically want this to be Desperado or Sin City, you know, um, is is a really good question. And I think it's, I think at the time, you know, when I'm thinking about when this movie is made in, in 98, I think this is really before a lot of those, um, I mean, Quentin Tarantino is, is definitely something that's in the background in the sense of like that, that's an acquired taste, you know, Mm -hmm. he, he's not the Quentin Tarantino we think of now, you know, where, uh, so many more people would go to see those type of movies. And I just don't think, uh, Zorro necessarily lends itself to being, that type of movie. I think they make the right choice in not having him as director. Um, it's funny too, because one of the reasons that he leaves is because of budgetary reasons. <laughs> they don't want to give him more than uh $40 million, $41 million, I think to make the movie. Uh, and the movie goes over budget to $60 million. So it's funny <laughs> that one of the reasons that he leaves actually, you know, <laughs> unfortunate for the movie makers in, um, you know, everybody behind the scenes, it it ends up costing a lot more than they think it's going to, but hey, I think it's money well spent. I'll I'll definitely say that. Um, now this is this is a really interesting question too because, so with Robert Rodriguez, Sean Connery was signed on to be the older Zorro, and so how do you think that would have worked as opposed to what we got with Anthony Hopkins? Was he signed on or was he just asked? Um, I I feel like I was reading in that he was, I mean, he was signed on to do it. Um, and he backs out, I think once, um, uh, Rodriguez leaves. So, um, but that, that's something to me that was like really fascinating because obviously he would have, you know, I mean, a year later he works with Catherine Zeta Jones and entrapment. And I feel like, um, I mean, the role would have been similar, but I mean, Sean Connery brings a whole other feel to the movie. Yeah, there's something about I know that there's there's a lot of um, question on on what roles people can play depending on heritage and ethnicity. And I know that there is some there is some um, middle ground with the this kind of this particular kind of role because there are white you know you know spanish people there are you know like in ambiguous um you know, ethnicities with his hispanic individuals and everything like that and i say all that to preface um even though anthony hopkins is welsh uh i think he uh, <laughs> he can sell uh be coming from spanish heritage more than sean connery which is funny to say because he <laughs> You know, this is he played um, Ramirez mm-hmm. in Highlander. That's what I was going to so say. It's just it, even though the man has the the filmography to say, yeah, I can totally like what is this haggish? You know, like like I know. Yeah. He, it, it, I just don't <laughs> think even though he barely, I, I can say I, I was going to say he barely pulled it off in Highlander. He didn't pull it off in Highlander. He wouldn't have pulled it off in Zorro. And I think Anthony Hopkins, who spent some time in the sun in the tanning booth. You know, to to get that 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 Californian sun uh, 
played it a lot better than what Sean Connery would have done with his what six foot two self and um and with his accent that you know he wouldn't have gotten rid of because <laughs> right. he can't. I mean, it's not like he really can. Yeah, I mean, I mean he mean, was Russian for gosh sakes, and and sounded just like he always does. <laughs> yeah, he's like I'm Diego de la Vega. You know, like it just. <laughs> It doesn't roll off the tongue. Like, there are times when, like, Antonio Banderas says, Dan Rafael, and he says it so fast, it, it doesn't even sound like three syllables. It sounds like one. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, I agree. That's so funny that you mentioned that, Tristan, because I was exactly going to say that when he does Ramirez, he get they get the look right, but everything else is just not quite believable. <laughs> so, although, you know, I'm a pretty diehard Connery fan, I think that this role wasn't quite right for him. And uh, you were right, Matt. I saw it said he was cast originally crazy. as Zorro. Yeah. That's crazy. Yep. Yeah. Well, I think I think if Sean like if we actually got Sean Connery in this movie and say that they got Catherine Zeta Jones, I don't think entrapment would have happened the same way. I don't yeah. think Catherine yeah. Zeta Jones would right. have been an entrapment. Yeah. Because that would have been right. too weird. That would have been like stunt casting where like in the previous mov- movie they were father daughter and in this movie their their love interest. I mean that entrapment already got enough heat for for the age difference i don't think they would have added that it definitely had enough heat you know (laughs) i'm searching for an appropriate word but it yeah yeah (laughs) thank you tristan for keeping it family friendly (laughs) but yeah i do think that they get a good look going for anthony hopkins especially with that like pencil thin mustache and uh you know the long hair and then yeah they've got him in his uh you know v-neck flowy pirate shirts uh I, I think that he too plays off well having a Spanish accent. I think they probably I'm sure I somewhere heard that they had a good dialect coach. Yeah, I like I really loved it when um Don Rafael uh came like in the in the first act, at the end of the first act, when um Rafael comes into his home and he says, The governor in my home what an honor you know like just like the way that he just like changes into bruce wayne you know like and and just kind of like tries to tries to kick it into gear and like lets it he's like you'll stay for dinner of course you know like it's still anthony hopkins but he adds that little spanish aristocratic flair to his tongue and it Mm -hmm. it it really i think um comes off really well i mean i think you guys nailed it though the problem is is that sean connery just couldn't pull this off in the way I mean, he just couldn't. And I love Sean, obviously. I'm a huge fan of Sean Connery's. You know, I mean, uh, Hunt for October is one of my favorite movies. I love, you know, him in Indiana Jones. He's a, he was, you know, the best Bond, um, except for Diamonds Are Forever, and we'll forget that one. Hey, now. Uh, and Never Say Never Again, we'll <laughs> definitely forget that one. Um, sorry, Nick. Uh, but so... I just, he doesn't have what it takes. And I, I think, you know, like you said, Tristan, one of the things about Anthony Hopkins is he's a, he has enough of a chameleon about him that he can kind of become whatever he's going to, to play. Uh, and I think they just cast somebody who could look Spanish, you know, and, 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 you know, uh, one of the, the pluses for this movie, it's the first time ever somebody who is actually Spanish plays Zorro. You know, so they were going to have that in the film. And I, yeah, Antonio Banderas said that on the extras that this was the very first time somebody actually Spanish played uh, 
So that that's what he said on the extras that I just watched last night. So uh, if 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 that's wrong, it's Antonio Banderas's fault. So um, I will blame Antonio Banderas. Uh, how do you say? Ah, yes, sure. Um, yes. <laughs> so yeah, I I think you just. I mean, we we. It, it, it's, it's so interesting how different this movie could have been. And I think, you know, one of the things that makes this work so well, Tristan, you alluded to this earlier, is that to kick, we get Martin Campbell kicking off another franchise. Uh, he had just come off of doing Goldeneye. And he actually says no to Tomorrow Never Dies so that he can do Zorro because he didn't want to do two Bond movies in a row. Um, and what's fascinating, and is in many ways, he uses kind of a similar formula that he did with Goldeneye to tell the story, where the beginning of the movie is the history, and the rest of the movie builds off of that. Um, and I just, I mean, everything that he adds to the film here, I think, in his direction, is just phenomenal. Um, and so, yeah. uh, and apparently... Tristan just texted me. Thank you for this, Tristan. That he is not. I tried to do first. it on the sly. So yeah. That he, no. 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 <laughs> so I'm gonna. I'm gonna correct myself here. Um, contrary to the false claims that Antonio Banderas makes. Um, sorry, Antonio Banderas. Uh, but he's not the first Spanish actor to pray, portray Zorro. So and there were many mm. before him. So he was definitely not the first. Um, sorry, Antonio Banderas. I, I apologize if this is the first time you're hearing this news. <laughs> no, um, no. He's a liar, he clearly. So. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, I to me, you know, Martin Campbell really kills it with the direction in this film. And it's because of him and, and like, him kind of taking the formula he used with Goldeneye, it works perfectly with reintroducing the world to uh, this character and it's it's fun in all the places it needs to be fun. It's kind of sexy in all the places it needs to be sexy. And like, I mean, I just I I'm beside myself the fact that you know um, that this works as well as it does. And I really do think it comes down to him and what he does behind the camera, what he does with all the. I mean, just everything about what he did did in this movie. I I couldn't say enough about. Well, and do you see some similarities like I do now that we're throwing in he recently came off Goldeneye between uh, Miss Onatop and Catherine Zeta-Jones' character? <laughs> there is a little bit of that. Like, she has... Um, that fieriness. She definitely has... Yeah. Like, sh- she's she's much more involved in the story. And, like, um, you know, I, I think that's that's a great part of this film is they give her character a lot more to do. She's much more proactive. Um and and she does kind of have this like, I I think it's part of just Catherine Zeta Jones as well as um, Femke Jensen just kind of ooze awesomeness, you know. Yeah, <laughs> I just you know I'm wondering if you know how much of that is direction from Campbell too. I, I mean that's a good question. I think one of the best things about this film is the pacing. It is, and I I give credit to Campbell for that, and and. Uh, Tom Noble um, for for editing it. I just there's there's really no moment in the film where I feel like it's wasted. I I, I really feel like there's there's no moment where I'm just like ah I could fast forward this or I could skip this or this could be excised or anything like that. It's just it it allows you to breathe when you need to breathe. It entertains you when it needs to entertain you. It amps you up. It it intrigues you. 
and it just it goes by in nothing flat. It it's, it it feels like it's a short film, but it's not. And that's a, that's a beautiful thing for a movie when you're just like when you just want more, and you're you're happy that it's over because it it was such a good time, but you are sad that it's over because you want more. <laughs> then fast forward a couple of years and you're like, oh great, no, that's not what I was talking about. That's not what I was talking about. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think that's one one key thing for me when I watch movies is. How good is the pacing, and is there anything that could be excised? And there's, I, in my opinion, there's nothing that needs to be removed in this. I'm with both of you. I think that it definitely, and especially in the scenes with a lot of stunt work, uh, and when we're going, you know, back and forth with the romance scenes as well. I think that it all ties together really well, and you can tell that the talent that Campbell brings to Goldeneye is the same here. You know that it. Like you're saying, Tristan, nothing could be cut and it continually gives you interesting things that are captivating you along the way. And then it throwing in a little grossness here and there, too, <laughs> you know, with the, the head in a jar and people getting beheaded. And <laughs> well, and there's I, I, Tristan, along with the fact that because you made this joke earlier about how they don't make movies like this that like they did in the 90s. But there's this incredible sense of fun with the film like that it it and i think sometimes to the detriment of of certain films these days it's like they take themselves so seriously that there's no fun in them whatsoever um and i just i really see this as this movie like you talked about the pacing but i think the tone of it consistent tone mm-hmm. you know it knows when to take the moments it needs to seriously between the characters like you know when you have that conversation uh between Banderas and and Hopkins about you know he's he's going to go uh you know try to save his daughter and he's like i would guess you don't owe anybody anything anymore you know and they have that really intense moment and like so we're able to do these type of things um, and even just the, like you said, Chrissy, the action sequences and the way they play out, the way they're structured, um, the way they move, everything is is working here. And and I think that just comes down to um, I, Campbell just was absolutely the right pick. I think he and and especially since really this is kicking off another franchise in the same way that he did with Bond. And it's like you want to find the essence of that character. And you want to give it to the audience. And I think that's kind of what I get here is that this movie is the essence of, of you know, Zorro. Uh, that sounds like a fragrance. Uh, <laughs> the essence of Zorro from Antonio Banderas. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> with, with you talking about tone uh, in like the balance of humor, I mean, that's a big thing in this movie is the balance of humor. It, because this could be... Okay, and also, okay, what I'm about to say, I don't want any get any. I don't want to get any tweets. I don't, I don't want to get any letters because I'm a Marvel fan. I like Marvel movies. I'm a big MCU fan, but I do believe I can that attest, some, folks. I know behind the scenes, Tristan yes, is a big Marvel mm-hmm. fan. I, I am. I am. I'm like, even though Batman is in my heart and soul, and I'm a, I'm a DC boy, I still love the MCU and, and Marvel films and everything like that. But there are times when it can get too jokey, way too jokey. I think they lean into that. And obviously not to their detriment because, I mean, tons and tons and tons of movie people like these movies and it makes a lot of money. But 
from my perspective, I think it it can be a a gross tonal shift when you're just like, it's quip after quip after quip after quip after quip after quip after quip, followed by some action. Maybe somebody dies. There's a single tear. Quip, quick, 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 quip. But while I was watching this uh, recently, I kept thinking, this is what Marvel wants to be. This is what in tonality like when they when they go for the joke i think they this is this is what let me me rephrase maybe this is what marvel should be like with their action drama and comedy mixture Uh, i think this would be maybe this is what we'll get in phase four or five whatever we're in but i like as i was watching this i was like this is a marvel movie before there was marvel movies like like before there was mcu let me rephrase that like this is a marvel movie before there was the mcu and it's just you have a great origin story it's like a it's a pass the baton story to a new origin and and it's funny it's sexy it has tons of action it's got like it's got really popular leads and but you don't you don't think it's a comedy even though it's very funny does that make sense yeah, I think that it you're hitting the nail on the head because there's even the moments where there are jokes in this movie, it's not quippy jokes. It's more you settle in and have yourself a giggle. You know, mm-hmm. you have to get the joke uh, rather than it being right on the tip of your tongue. I think that even there's the moments where they have the more serious I keep coming back to the meetings between Banderas and Captain Love. You know, it's like they're they're kind of joking with each other, but it's more mm-hmm. sarcastic and you can tell the tension of the scene. So I like that they don't make it too at all, you know, leaning towards slapstick or anything like that. It's really like subtle. One of my favorite jokes in the entire movie is when they're in the confessional and... And she says, I had impure th- in- impure thoughts about a man. And he goes, huh? Like, he just, like, <laughs> he just, like, just, just, just gives a little, like, a little faint shock. And it just, it gets me rolling. And that's all it takes. It's just like Antonio Banderas giving a little faint, huh? And I, I'm, 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 I'm in stitches. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I really like what you're saying, Tristan. I, th- to me, this kind of harkens back to what we did see in, in maybe very early Marvel too, where, you know, Iron Man, because Iron Man has those moments, right? Where everything is super serious and like things are pretty awful, especially at the beginning of the movie when he's in the cave, there's the not cave, a lot yeah. that's funny in that. Um, and the, and there's a lot of that movie where you, you do, you're able to make that shift tonally and it feel like the wave that it should and I think you're just absolutely right. You know, um, it, it 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 just goes to show. I mean, this is a great script, uh, and you got a fantastic director. And then I think, honestly, they just pulled out the perfect cast. I mean, Antonio Banderas is so funny in this movie, but then he's also to be able to be so serious. I mean, that moment where he watches uh, Captain Love shoot the guy. That's flying towards them, you know, and it's the guy he used to work with. And, you know, he bends down and he watches him die. And they have that, you know, moment where they lock eyes. And it's like, it's so heartbreaking. 
and he plays it so well and so subtly like that's not a ton of movement but it's all just happening in his face and it's just he was amazing and i i mean ob- obviously the absolute perfect uh, character you know a perfect person to play this character and to boot bob anderson who who's trained a ton of people in film for swordplay rated banderas the best national natural talent he's ever worked with for on-screen fencing so that's pretty high praise <laughs> he's also apparently an excellent horseman and he did a lot of um the writing himself now like when you uh in the 4k version this was sadly very apparent but like when um um when like he does the jumps and flips off the horse and everything like that it's it's clearly somebody else uh they didn't even get somebody who was the same weight as banderas to do the horse <laughs> jumps. <laughs> and it's yeah but uh one, one thing actually this this is kind of a tangent this is kind of a tangent but in the speaking of like you know seeing the 4k version uh, in the dance scene, in the really sexy dance scene, um, where there's like, like where they're like dancing like they're in Madrid, um, in the wide shots, it's it's clearly not Antonio Banderas, which is really weird because he's Banderas a good dancer. Can, he's a great dancer, and so I'm like, why did they do this? Like, and so all that I can think of is that maybe they forgot to get the wide shot and they had to go back for reshoots and Banderas wasn't available or maybe it was a second unit thing. I'm not quite sure, but it was really weird to see for the first time because I kind of like when, you know, like growing up, it was on a VHS on a 27 inch screen. If I was lucky, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, like there's no way to tell that the, in the wide shot, it wasn't Banderas, but now I could tell it it was just strange to me um, to see that anyway, back to our regularly scheduled programming. No, I think that that's a good thing to add because I actually didn't know that and I haven't seen it in the 4K version. So thank you for sharing that. It's weird. <laughs> I, I wouldn't, I don't know. Maybe it's a lot easier to tell when it's in 4K though. But yeah, it, I wouldn't think that, especially because I know that he's a good dancer and because the way that they pull off the scene, it seems like it's him the mm-hmm. entire time. Yeah, very strange. Yeah, I mean, he's just so good, though. And I mean, I one of the things that I marvel at him with is just how he's able to transition. Chrissy, you were mentioned in those scenes when he's just talking specifically uh, to Captain Love in the office, and then those scenes when he's being really goofy, especially kind of at the beginning, you know, where he's challenging uh, Hopkins, Don De La Vega to a fight, you know, and he just he's looks drunk. like an absolute <laughs> fool. And he just does both so well. Um, and and that's that's a great range to be able to have for this character. And to kind of watch him move from the buffoon to this person that has the refinement, too, was really well done as well. So he just plays all of those parts perfectly. Absolutely. I think that they picked somebody who not only can pull off the look, but has the skills to then come in and do all of these things that would normally, you know, possibly take a stunt person for a lot more. And he can pull that off even at the end as caring father. You know, he's now not only the romantic interest or the, you know, goofy drunk, but he's also now 
moved on to becoming a more, you know, mature human being, being married probably and having a child. And um, you can see how it could possibly go on to be a bigger franchise because of the way he plays off the end. And I, I think that it definitely has to be the first time for sure that every woman all over the world that saw this movie went, Antonio Banderas. <laughs> I mean, I, come I on. I think that's probably true. It has to be um, the best Banderas movie out there. I, I think you're right. I mean, it probably is my favorite of his movies. But, uh, and I, we, we talked a little bit about Anthony Hopkins, but, you know, to me, the role that he's playing here is almost that Obi-Wan Kenobi role. You know, he is the Alec Guinness to this movie who really adds all the gravitas you need to the role uh, that somebody's trying to live up to. And I just, again, um, you know, I think he was the perfect choice. And I love his portrayal in this movie. But I also love that, you know, he talked about specifically in the extras where he was like, you know what? I've done a ton of great work. I've done a ton of movies. He's like, I don't want to downplay this, but I just it's time for me to have some fun. And I love that he came here to have fun and it totally comes off perfectly um, with this role because he is having a great time. Um, yeah. His joke where he's like, um, this is going to take a lot of work. It's so dry. It's so perfect. Um, and I just, I love it. And I, I think he adds so much to the role and I, I couldn't say more of how glad I am that it's him in this role and not somebody else. Speaking of which, something that really kind of, I, I, I I'm trying to, I'm trying to phrase it appropriately. Where Don Rafael Montero, I think Stuart Wilson um, doesn't get enough credit for portraying the antagonist here, and I, I think he does a, a a fantastic job. And I'm always ta- every time I watch it, I'm always taken aback by how well his sword play is. Because I mm-hmm. always forget that he is that good at 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 fencing and at, and at fighting, um, because he kind of just plays off this aristocrat where who you'd think that would just get his butt kicked, but then he yep. just comes out of nowhere and like just around the corner in the hallway and he's just like slashing away. Mm-hmm. But when I found out that Armand de Sante had initially been, you know, um, cast in the role, part of me was just like, oh man, that would have been good. Like I, that, that would have been cool. I, I, I really think, because I just feel like the world doesn't get enough Armand Asante. And w- what do you guys think about Wilson playing the role? And what do you think about Asante possibly of playing the role? So I felt like Wilson was so good. I just, because he's the only one I've ever seen in the role and, and the way that he does it, especially playing back and forth as the villain, but the, you know, doting father who just wants the best for his daughter and for California. And, you know, he's portraying himself as the savior of California. I think I just, I, I like what we get. You know, it's a great question, Tristan. Like it really is because I do think, I mean, he could have been really good. He would be able to play the menace, I think, even better. But I think one of the things that you kind of mentioned about Stuart Wilson that I think he brings to the role is that he truly plays believing that he's doing this to, for the best of everybody, you know, um, mm. really well. You know, like 
Um, and it's only in those like really key moments where I think that the f- complete facade slips and he lets that true self shine of really this is about him and having more power. Um, but he's almost convinced himself that this is really for the people, you know, um, and he's he's almost convinced himself that that's exactly what he wants. And so um, I don't know. It's a great question because. Unlike Connery, I think Armand could have been just as fantastic in the role, and he just would have, I think, brought us a, a bit more menace to it. Honestly, yeah, I think you're right. I think it would have been, yeah, I think he probably would have brought a little bit more intensity to the role, and that's not yes. an insult yeah, to Wilson. Yeah. Um, but uh, so have you? Have you guys seen? I have. Have either of you seen the Odyssey, the TV movie that Asante was in, and that's why he wasn't in this? Why he wasn't in Zorro? No, I, I have not. It's really worth your time. Like it's it's very nineties TV movie, but it's it's I I really enjoy it. Like I I got it on a uh, I had it taped on VHS from from TV for years, and then a couple of years ago I got it on a, a double pack DVD with that and Gulliver's Travels oh, with nice. um, okay. Ted Danson. <laughs> Classic, nice. So you could probably find it in the Walmart bin for like four bucks. So look there next time you're there. <laughs> yeah, though. No, um, so I, we've kind of talked around uh, her, but, you know, how did you guys feel about, you know, Catherine Zeta-Jones uh, and the fact that Elizabeth Scorpio, uh, I, I don't know how you say her last name, uh, Isabella, who was in Goldeneye, uh, actually, she's one of the people who, tested for the role which was interesting choice um since she had been in goldeneye uh anyway yeah i mean catherine zeta jones go i think uh uh, catherine zeta jones is is one of those actresses where every every movie she's in she's perfect for the role because it's catherine zeta jones i i have an unabashed love for for zeta jones it's uh i i it's hard for me to be impartial and uh it's it's hard for me to say like like ah, i could have been better or maybe not i was just like if she if she fails in her performance then that means the movie has failed her yeah you know, like that kind of thing <laughs> um but yeah i thought <laughs> i did i thought the accent was a little uh, uh it, was a, it was a little different uh i do want to ask you guys one thing though as i'm watching this movie it, this is i don't know why this is the first time it occurred to me but so Catherine zeta jones was raised in spain all right, raised in Spain, she comes to California's shores, and she goes to the to the bazaar, you know, like to the marketplace, and she sees her old nanny, and her nanny speaking Spanish. Her nanny's daughter has to translate the Spanish to th- to Catherine Zeta Jones. Why? Wh- wh- why? What? Wh- what? What is that scene? What's going on there? <laughs> She was, so what, she was raised in Spain and only got the accent. Like, what? <laughs> yeah, I definitely feel the same way. I've always thought that because it doesn't make any sense if she was raised in Spain, like you're saying, and her father clearly seems like he probably speaks Spanish regularly since he's interacting with all these different group, groups of people that would. And then she's coming over here with him as you know a grown woman in her probably early twenties. She would know Spanish by now. And also, I always just kind of assumed that they were all speaking Spanish and we were just hearing English, you know, 
mm-hmm. for for the audience sake. Oh yeah, I get what you mean. Cuz you know like it's 1800s California, mm-hmm. you know like they're going to be speaking Spanish. Um but yeah, it was I don't know. It's <laughs> either way, it just doesn't make sense. But the the only thing that I could think was is that they didn't want to use subtitles at that point of the movie. Uh, and so that's why they do it, but it still doesn't make sense for the movie and, and, and the, and the reality of the movie that we put in, it doesn't yeah. make any sense. Yeah. No. Um, but you just go with I, it. Yeah. <laughs> she's, gr- she's so great in the role though. I mean, and mainly because her and Banderas have such chemistry together. I yeah. mean, it's just jumping off the screen and you, you, I mean, you want to be with both of them. Uh, and so it's just, it's fantastic. And I mean, the only thing I could say is she's got the world's m- most magical hair because it grows like six inches <laughs> just for one scene. It's, imp- it's, it's impressive. It's crazy how that works, right? <laughs> the, the magic of I movie mean, making. Yeah, she, she went to the hairdresser and said, please, <laughs> please give me the strategically placed haircut. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was really funny in the extras because she she mentioned that she's talking to Campbell about that scene and he's like, "Oh, and this and then it just all comes off." And she's like, "What what what? It all what?" You know, and and he's like, "Oh, no, don't worry. Nobody'll see." Me. And she's like, "But people have freeze frame." <laughs> so, like it's the time when actors are starting to think about that. And then she's like, "Then it was fine because I have really long hair." So <laughs> They could have given her something. I'm just thinking, like, there's got to be something. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah. And, yeah. And the, that that shot was in every single trailer and TV spot. It was... And of course it was. I mean, you know. Because that's motivation like, was, to get people to the movies. The, it, it wasn't as bad as the Into Darkness bikini shot like that that we saw in trailers. True. but it, It's true. This this was it was really funny because you just knew they're like yeah this will get the this will get the people in. But again, too though, that's to your point, Tristan. Like the perfectly placed humor, it was unexpected yeah. in the way it was going to happen. Still, so then when you actually get to that moment of seeing the fight and then that being the end of it, it's hilarious because she comes into it thinking you know she's got him beat she's a better swords person than he is and then it ends up that way it's funny um but yeah i think that you couldn't have had another actress play this character especially alongside banderas and have that kind of chemistry and have uh, the best word i have is that fire um with her specifically Catherine zeta jones i i love the way that she plays all of her roles with a little bit of that fire and sassy nature or whatever you want to call it and uh and i and then i like too that she is able to play the soft moments where you know she's finally figuring out who her real father is and then in the end you know when he's dying in their arms uh, and then being able to play the scenes with Banderas where they have that back and forth, especially with the dance, it's beautiful. And then also you can feel that heat in the moment, too. So what you're saying is it's hot, hot, hot. No, I'm saying the heat of the moment, like Asia. Oh, <laughs> oh right, right, right. Um, you know, the other person, too, that I always forget this in this movie is Matt Lesher. Um, and I... 
love that he's in this movie because he's also um in uh he was in the the DC TV shows in the Flash. He plays the Reverse Flash. Um, ah, good point. And uh, yeah, really, and he's so good at being evil. Like, and here he is just maniacally evil. Like he's the one who just he is the mustache twirling villain. Uh, and he plays it so perfectly. And I, I really, uh, I also love too. you know, this is the place where he's a historical character that has been used in Zorro since the beginning, you know, um, Macaulay, uh, used this character. Uh, and I, I just, I think it's, it's so fun. And that's, I think that's one of the things that makes Zorro kind of special is there's this mixture between real life history and then pulp storytelling smashed together. And gosh, Harrison, I'm just always good when he gets the poetic justice. Uh, I mean, it's just pure poetic justice when that gold comes slamming down on him. So he's died by the sword and by the gold he was trying to steal as well from all of these peasants just fantastic i i mean he's it's great he's great oh man like speaking of death scenes like when don rafael gets his foot trapped Mm -hmm. and like he knows he's going to die like he's get he gets dragged for a good amount of time Mm -hmm. and he knows it's coming and it's going to be painful (laughs) and like that is even more terrifying to me than what capitan love went through uh just because you hear his screams and he's just continuing to drag it. And then all of a sudden, it, you know, they they're, they die together. And then I think you even see Don Rafael's body kind of f- flail to the side. Mm-hmm. Like after the, the gold kind of explodes everywhere, you see this like little clothed ragdoll body that just kind of goes. <laughs> yep. Yeah, this viewing was actually the first time that I caught that particular piece of it. And it was even more funny. But you would think that uh, Captain Love didn't have enough energy left in him since he had a sword through his middle anyway to scream, but he did. (laughs) Oh, in the movies, you always have, you have enough breath to give one last scream. I mean, just look at Braveheart. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's really important, too. I mean, it's really important, folks. No, I, I think one of the things, too, that I really kind of liked about this movie is that you know, there kind of is this theme running throughout the movie about how you're going to use your power, which is, uh, you know, in some ways it's kind of like it, it goes along really well with like that Batman theme. You know, how is Bruce Wayne going to use all of this money and everything that he went through and the pain of the loss? And it, it, that question, and I really liked how everybody in this movie is they have a certain amount of power or they're being given a certain amount of power and they're they're the ways they use it are are very different you know um and you know i love how you know you do see um don de la vega who is very keen on using all of the wealth he has for the betterment of others like he's going to put his life on the line just like batman in that sense um and then montero on the other side you know as i was saying earlier it's it's all about for the people but really, it's just about him gaining more power, um, and this this whole this, the, all these power dynamics, and and it makes for just I think a really poignant story that's it's effervescent, and that's one of the things I love about it. It's like it's so much fun, but it does have something to say as well. It's a really important lesson to to keep being reminded of is the, how we use the power we've been given. 
Right. Well, definitely when you're talking about someone who's leading this group of all of the other Dons and everything, they're already not amazing people that they kind of give off that vibe of they're all a little bit underhanded in how they got wealthy in the first place. But especially that he has convinced himself that he's doing something good. Um, But he he doesn't quite believe it 100% because you can tell when he says, we're going to buy it from him, but with gold from his own land, that he he knows what he's doing. And that he feels that accomplishment from being able to pull one over on somebody in that big of a way. So yeah, I, I think that it's really cool to see how they show with him, especially, and then also through by contrast, Zorro, um, and with the two different versions of Zorro, we see that it's all about what you do with what you're given and not just where you are in society. And that, you know, even, even like the, the poor people, they're showing how the Dons are willing to use them for their means and then kill them all. And that Zorro's always been about helping the little guy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that whole idea of like, you know, just using other people for your own gain, um, and 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 in such a disgusting way, um, is is a great lesson, and and, and it's really it's evergreen, you know, because it's it's not a problem that I mean it's it's been a problem that's been here since the beginning, and it continues to be a problem, and it's one we need to be reminded of over and over again, um, so we can see ourselves in the different places, you know, how we're using, um, the power we have and the gifts we've been given. Uh, and the money that we have and the time that we have, how are we using all of that? Are we just using it for ourselves or are we using it for the betterment of others? And, and so I just love it. And that men will try to dance and women will succeed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. It had to be said. Oh, man. Um, for you guys, you know, this movie is an action movie. And so how do you feel like the action holds up after all of these years? I think it absolutely holds up. I think I I miss sword movies. I, I miss the swashbucklers, you know, like I, I, I really, really do. I mean, like in the 90s, some of my favorite um, action films, I, I guess I don't even want to say action films, like some of my favorite films are, are as Zorro, this film, and First Night with Sean Connery and Richard yes. Gere. Um because I friggin' love sword fights. I just, I absolutely love them. And, and I know that we've gotten some Star Wars films recently, and I love lightsaber fights, but they're just not the same. It's just not the same as the clink and the clang and the shiny, shiny. It just, and the stabby, stabby, it just, it just doesn't work at the same way. And, uh, like the explosions that they use and the, uh, the, how they, uh, just all the tools that they give Zoro, where like he's a gymnast, a expert horseman. <laughs> he is, uh, you know, like he's a swashbuckler and he can utilize a whip and he can give a quip. And it, it just, they, they, the way that they marry all of those elements into one hero and they, you never get bored with, with these, uh, with these action scenes. And like they, they do a really good job of amping, you know, like upping the ante with every single scene to the point where it crescendos in gigantic explosions. And I don't know what, I don't know why 
90s movies did this, but they would add in like a panther roar in some explosions. Have you guys noticed this? Yeah, like, they even talked about it in the extras that there oh, is there it it's like a it, it's like a panther or it it's it's one of those larger cats. I yeah, it's like a it's like a <laughs> like yeah. it makes an explosion sound bigger than it is, I guess. <laughs> it's so strange. It I, it works for me. I'm I'm fine with it. Yeah. I just <laughs> It's just, I don't know why they did it and why it was a trend, but it's there. That's funny. I never caught that before. So now I need to go watch it again and listen carefully for the panther roar. But yeah, I think that the action and the dancing are the two best things about the movie. Uh, Because for sure, I mean, all those movies that remind you of the 90s, like Three Musketeers or Princess Bride or uh, Robin Hood, you know, all of those have that in common with really great sword fighting and uh, horsework and um, the ability to just, you know, come in, you know, swoop in, do something heroic and then swoop out with your whip at your side and your faithful steed tornado. You know, it's it's everything that you want in a hero and everything that you want to be if you got to be one. So I think that for sure the action holds up and it, it gets you excited to want to rewatch the movie over and over again. I grew up with the Earl Flynn movies, you know, like Robin Hood, those kind of things. And of course known for their sword play. And, you know, I'm so thankful that they got Bob Anderson to help them do all the sword work in this movie because, you know, when he's involved, it's always good. And the fact that you have this caliber of people trying to pull off the sword work is fantastic. And I I think you're absolutely right, Tristan. There isn't any of the action sequences that doesn't hold up in this movie. It it all still works and it all still feels great. Um, And a part of that, too, is that you're in a place where it's all completely real still, too. There's no CGI work here because uh, that didn't really exist then in, in that way to be able to augment things in the way you'd want, the way you can now. Um, and like you said, even that massive explosion in the end, it's just, it's huge. It's huge. Um, so I love it. Um, and I think, you know, all that action comes down to, you know, they're filming all these scenes uh, in Mexico. They're all on location. It's, it, again, it feels like we're back in that time. And and so everything about the movie and the action, I think, still works. And everything about the production of the film still works in that way. Like, it looks so good. Uh, so I just think they do a, a fantastic job. And then you, on top of that, you add James Horner's score, which, man, this is such a good score. Such a good score. And Tristan, you even talked about the You've got the great Mark Antony song at the end of the movie. I mean, it's just great stuff. It's so recognizable, too. Like those those, those strings at the beginning, just that the, the, the kind of you know, flow and go up and down. Like it's just the, the theme, you know, Zorro's theme of like when he comes into the into the uh, into the square and then when Banderos dons the mask for the first time it's just yeah like I can hear it right now I don't know I don't even I don't even need to play it in my headphones you don't need to sing it for us either <laughs> well that that one I possibly could I mean that's going to be a special patreon feature oh, okay. uh, later on is <laughs> me singing that um it's actually it's actually a, it's a it's a reverse thing where I give you money instead <laughs> 
Oh, okay. Okay, that's how it works. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's just so, um, you know, Horner is, is really good, and it's interesting. Uh, I was watching the movie uh, last night to get ready, and there were a couple moments where I could hear other pieces like i was like oh that's a little bit of a star trek refrain and oh that's kind of something that he he'll you know he has a brave heart and like he but but then like you said i think he just really nails this by using a lot of those things specific to spain and mexico like when they're doing the sword play and he's using um the dance the 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 feet uh, from the dance uh, and like that as the background, like he had to talk them into it. He even said too. Mm-hmm. um, I, I just, it, it works really well because it creates this rhythmic feel as there is, as you know, the new Zorro is learning from the older Zorro and, um, but it feels so much the part and it helps you like, again, with the production and, and everything just looking so good. And it makes me feel like. I'm back in that time period, although a lot cleaner because everybody's really clean in this movie uh, in the sense that like nobody looks dusty, even though, you know, mm-hmm. they're <laughs> in, supposed to be in like Southern California at this point. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I just I love it. I love the score. I've been listening to it for the last week, week, just enjoying it again. Um, so it's beautiful. This I, I mean, I don't know if. um I need to ask this question, but we do it. So, uh, Tristan, if you had to rate The Mask of Zorro, what are you going to rate The Mask of Zorro? This is an unabashed five-star film for me. Um, I know that it's some people reserve five stars for, you know, Citizen Kane, Godfather, and things like that. And I completely respect that. And I, I, I totally get it. And I'm not trying to say that the mask of Zorro is like the citizen Kane of action films or of, uh, you know, like a mid nineties family action films. I'm not, I'm not trying to say that. It's just, when I look at a film, I try to factor in, um, the movie making my own personal enjoyment. And if, is there anything that I would change? And in my own personal enjoyment, it's, it's absolutely a five-star film and the movie making, when you look at the tone, the pacing, the script, the action, the dialogue, it all works. And um, when you and we talked about this before, but is there anything I would change? There's not a single thing I would change. There's not a single thing I would excise or add in or move around. I think it's a great edit and it's a great direction. And so, because of all that, I I give it a nerdy, unabashed five stars. I think that you're right on. I mean, it, this is another one that it. You may have heard if you've listened to our show lately, Tristan, that there's a lot of these that I've grown up watching with my dad. And this was another one that my dad and I watched very often and uh, something that has just been a part of me growing up, but then also something that I like to revisit from time to time just because it's like that warm blanket. And uh, so, yeah, I have to give it a five out of five as well, because really, when I think about it, there is nothing that I would change. I think that there's probably times when it feels a little bit like a cheesy 90s movie, but I still love it anyway. And it, I mean, how are you going to change that? So, yeah, I give it a five too. Yeah, you know, uh, I think I'm pretty much right there with you guys. Um, you know, this is, uh, for me, it's not quite five, but it's four 
out of five, four and a half out of five stars. Like it's it's so good. Like I, in fact, even just rewatching yesterday, uh, it it went up half a star just because I was like, this movie's just so good. So um, I really like this movie. Um, and I I'm it's one that I'll I'll continue to keep watching because it really is just so much fun. And so I I'm really excited uh you know that we got a chance to cover it uh together and uh hopefully everybody will enjoy going back and, and rewatching it now. And so um but it is time for recommendations and this is where um the, the part of the show where we recommend something uh that we have been watching or listening to uh and so uh Tristan um what is something that you would like to recommend to everybody here uh on the 602 club I really wish I could give something esoteric and give something hipster like where it's something that you've probably never heard of or anything like that but honestly I'm going to have to be a little basic here and say uh the great British Bake Off is something that everyone should be watching. Yes. Uh, It is the salve in the wound that is 2020. It it is, they they went to great lengths to uh, give us these episodes. Like they they all quarantined, had a quarantine bubble, and they tested and they made sure that everything was cool and good to go. And it was just an absolute delight to turn on Netflix every Friday and snuggle in and then just wonder if their bake was going to be undercooked or underproved. And it is, it, it, it is just, it is the warm blanket. It is just pure. It is like the Nexus. It, you know, like it's just, it's joy, pure joy in a warm blanket. And uh, it's what everybody needs right now. So that is, that is my recommendation is go to Netflix, watch the great British baking show. That has been like my bread and butter. I think I've watched every season multiple times. Oh yeah, like we're we. My wife and I have seen it. I th- she's seen it multiple times. I've seen it at least once through, and it's it's time to go back. Yeah. To collection one, and start over again. And now you can t- tell if things are overworked. <laughs> overworked. Uh, that's awesome. Unapproved. Yeah. Uh, my actually my recommendation I, when I was looking at other um, Catherine Zeta Jones films that I love, one came up that I think I saw recently is now on Hulu or Amazon Prime. So easy time to rewatch it if anyone wants to. Uh, but it's a 1996 movie called The Phantom, starring Billy Zane. I freaking love that movie, <laughs> and it has, I just bought uh, it like two weeks ago on digital. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it that that was another one of around this era that I was watching nonstop with my dad. Uh it's so good. It's it's kind of campy sometimes. But sometimes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh but it's got Treat Williams as the villain. There are pirates. It just it's so good. So I I highly Xander recommend Drex it. begins and ends with the letter X. Yeah. Oh my gosh. No, <laughs> it sounds like you're you me and my dad watch the same movies as you and your dad yeah um because that was actually the first time that my dad and i ever saw Catherine zeta jones oh wow was, was the phantom? in the phantom like because i like remember she was laying on a couch and no one could see she was there until she moved and then both my dad and i were just like hmm who is this this individual <laughs> Interesting. this well symmetrical faced individual yeah that's awesome yeah love it yeah, um, so I have a really fun one to recommend to everybody this week. Um, I uh, am recommending The Art of Star Wars The Mandalorian, uh, the book that is coming out. And in fact, by the time this episode drops, the book will be out. 
um, but it is fantastic. Um, you know, uh, really, uh, the art of books have kind of become the behind-the-scenes books for the, the Star Wars universe these days, and it's just so great. Um, it's really well written. We've got some great behind-the-scenes material in there about the creation of the series, and then, of course, getting to peruse the artwork for the creation of this series was is just phenomenal. Like, I mean, you know, the, the Star Wars um, concept artists are just so good and so imaginative, and it's so much fun to look back at that first season and, and see how they came up with everything uh, as they were trying to figure out, you know, what the show was and then and really create the look and the feel of it. Uh, so I highly recommend picking up the art of Star Wars, The Mandalorian, um, because you're not going to regret it. Uh, and honestly, kind of the perfect gift for any Star Wars fan. Uh, so definitely check that out. Um, but uh, Tristan, we're so glad to have you back here in the 602 Club. And so um, I know you have tons else going on. If, if people want to catch up with you, where can they find you? Oh, what you can do is head on over to the nerdparty.com. Uh, it is a great place to be with. I have a lot of archive show and, and one show that I'm currently doing right now is called the, um, the house light series where we, uh, depending on which director we're, we're analyzing, uh, we, we just finished house of Fincher and we're, uh, we're currently recording house of Nolan. And so everyone should go and check that out. And, uh, I have a few, uh, like I said, I have a few archive shows where one called punch it writing in star Trek, uh, which is exactly what it's, what it sounds like, where we analyze the writing of Star Trek. And I have an old, older show, which I, I did with my wife called Nerd Nuptial, where we talked about our relationship and how it relates to film. And we would analyze film and TV. And also, I just got done doing, uh, Lower Decks commentary tracks for, uh, Star Trek Lower Decks. And which is a show that I, I think if you're a Star Trek fan, every, you should check out and then, uh, go listen to our commentaries because it was a lot of fun to do. Very cool. I'm going to have to listen to Nerd Nuptial, too, because that sounds like a cool idea. I really like doing it. And my wife and I really liked doing it together. I'm, I'm very proud of the work that we did on Nerd Nuptial. And we we also, one thing that we talked about that I love to, to talk to people about is our baby story on the show. And um, we had issues with uh, fertility and we would talk about it. And we would, we uh, we actually did a few episodes where we were like, where we had to hold our kid, you know, like thankfully, like while we were doing the show and sometimes you'd hear and uh, like her middle name is Ripley who, you know, named after um, Ripley from alien and aliens and everything like that. And, uh, and yeah, like it's, um, yeah, it's a, uh, we kind of, we kind of got a little bit too busy with life uh, in order to continue on, but we still get emails from people saying if we're ever going to start it up again and we are in the rumblings of doing something new. So yeah, it, please. So please check it out. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, well, and of course, you can find me when I'm not here on 602 Club with Matt. Uh, I do a show with my friend Teresa Delgado called Sabres and Spells on the Skywalking Through Neverland Network Skynet. And we talk about basically any other geeky stuff that uh, we don't usually get to talk about. So that might be Stranger Things. Uh, she wanted to do a My Little Pony D&D game sometime soon. So we'll see what's next. Uh, and then I am available on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Uh, Twitter and Instagram at Bespin Bell. And uh, on Facebook, I'll jump in the Babel conference from time to time. Of course, uh, you can find me uh, all over the place. Uh, social media, just look for Matt MattRushing02. Uh, you can find me here on the network doing literary treks as well as the Orb. 
Uh, Lower Treks is about the books and comics of Star Trek, and then uh, The Orb is about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Uh, of course, over on the Nerd Party Network with Tristan, um, but uh, do two shows there. One is called Aggressive Negotiations with John Mills, uh, and each and every week we are talking about something fun in the Star Wars universe, um, so... Always a ton to talk about there. And then doing Owl Post, which is starting to wind down because we don't have many episodes left with my friend Drea Kaufman. And that's where we're walking through Harry Potter each and every week, one chapter at a time. But you know what? Thank you guys so much for joining us. And y'all come back now, you hear? Thank you.